the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to the Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs contributor Brett Talley. And today we're talking about daily fantasy contest strategy and prospect call-ups. And first, as always, we will start off with the most interesting player alive today. And this time, he's actually the fourth most interesting player alive, because the first three guys we've talked about way too much. And I have to give you guys credit because this is the first time in a while that I have not seen Miguel Cabrera's name in the top 10. So applause for all of you guys for not looking him up every single day and giving us something else to talk about. So that most interesting player alive or the fourth most interesting player alive today is Hyun Jin Ryu, who uh, I, I, I love to hear Vin Scully try to pronounce his name. And uh, anyway, Brett, what do you think of Ryu? Because he's obviously was kind of an unknown coming into the year, but he's been fantastic. 272 ERA and a 111 whip. I mean, does he have a chance to really continue with this level of performance, or would he be more of a sell-high guy? Um, I mean, obviously it depends on what you could get in return. I, I, I think I've got him ranked in like the mid 20s of my rest of season starting pitcher ranks kind of around that point where you get to some of the injured studs like price and strasburg i'm not sure if a few extra starts of ryu is you know better than what those guys will give you in limited work going forward i guess but there's a little bit of regression coming um the swinging strike rate doesn't exactly 8.8 percent doesn't exactly line up with uh a k percentage where his is so i think there's a little strikeout regression coming um, Babbitt and Strandrader are a little uh, abnormal. I wouldn't think they're too bad, but you know maybe he comes back and ends up in the mid threes, lower mid threes. Yeah, I actually just checked my expected strikeout rate spreadsheet, and sure enough, Ryu's strikeout rate currently is a bit higher than his expected mark based on his called strike, swinging strike, and foul strike rate, which uh, isn't that surprising because right now his swinging strike rate is uh, pretty pedestrian. It's actually below the league average. Um, that's a surprise, given a, a very solid strikeout rate. So I would expect that his strikeout percentage would uh, drop a bit. Uh, but the walk rate also might decline a bit, just because his first strike rate is also below league average. All of his advanced metrics, actually, are basically right below the league average. So it is a bit of a surprise that he has a 272 ERA right now. But he does still show a pretty good skill set, and I feel like he probably doesn't have the name value that somebody performing at this level uh, would need to command uh, you know, a sell-high price. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's why uh, he's you know, in this discussion. People are looking, up him, a lot, looking him up a lot because they don't know who he is, um, and Sadly, I don't know that the Fangraphs player page is overly helpful because we're not talking about any sort of sample size, really. So it's really hard to tell. And I think ultimately, I think because he doesn't have that name value and because people are so unsure about him, I don't know that I'd 
be trying to move him too much. I might just keep him, and, and I think he's going to help out with some decent ratio categories. And uh, I think that his value will continue to have. He'll continue to have value. Yeah, I think he'll be decent all year. Obviously, he's not going to, or we don't expect him to finish the year with a sub-3 ERA, but he, he's such a, an unknown. Who knows if he's going to tire down the stretch or if the second time around the league, uh, teams are going to figure him out and he's going to uh, regress. And I'm sure all fantasy owners are wondering that. So I think it would be difficult for you to actually sell high, and he's probably somebody to just hold on to all season, cross your fingers, hope he just continues to do well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's play uh, a would you rather game. And so, would you rather Hyun Jin Ryu, and I'm going to say that name as many times as I can during the podcast, or Alex Cobb? Uh, like I said, I did my re ranks last week. I had Cobb 22 and Ryu 28. So I'll go Cobb. Ah, oh, it was pretty close. I'm surprised. Okay. Uh, I would. Wow. I. You know what? I think I would go Cobb by a nose as well. I do not remember where I had the two in my last rankings or the the Rotographs consensus rankings just because my last rankings was American League only. But Cobb, I mean, it's just a matter of better luck. Last year, his Sierra was 351, but he put a, up a, a 403 ERA just because of a high home run per fly ball rate and a, a, high, a, a low left on base percentage. So Cobb has always had the skills, and he's improved his strikeout rate this year. He's on a good team, good ballpark, obviously worst league, bad division. But Cobb's ground ball rate is much better, and uh, I, I think I like Cobb better as well. How about Ryu or tonight's starting pitcher against the Reds on ESPN, Lance Lynn? Um, you know, Lynn's got the bigger strikeout arm, and I like that, but also the control's not as good. Um, I think I might go Ryu here. Uh, even though I'm sitting here trying to talk myself into Lynn, better team, more wins, still a pretty good home ballpark, if not as good as Ryu's. That one's close, but I think I'll go with Ryu by just a hair. And I think I'm going to go with Lynn by just a hair. I, I like the fact that he's on an excellent offense, a very good team, a good ballpark, and he just seems like the safer pick because you basically know – well, you don't really know what you're going to get from Lance Lynn. We don't have a, a huge sample – a performance from him, but I think he's a little safer than Ryu just because we don't know what's going to happen uh, in the, the second time around the league. And, and Lynn has been through it before. Of course, he wasn't very good last year in the second half, but he's got good skills. He has a better shot, I think, to uh, keep up that strikeout rate. And so yeah. I'm going to go with Lynn by a hair. And the last guy is Mike Miner. Um, this one actually is pretty easy for me. I'd, I'd go with Miner for sure. Um, I've got him top 20. Um, I guess every, everybody's tweeting these stats, but since middle of last year, basically the last calendar year, I mean, he's had a, a low two ERA. So, I mean, I don't think that'll keep up exactly, but minor's a pretty easy choice for me there. You know what? I feel like I'd be in the minority right here, but I'm actually going to go to Ryu. And I see the two. The only difference really I see between the two is that Ryu is a ground ball pitcher, whereas Miner is an extreme fly ball pitcher, and I want the ground ball guy. And, I mean, obviously Miner pitches for a better offense, so you wouldn't exactly know that. Uh, oh, he actually does have seven wins. Well, oh, I was thinking of Chris Medlin, who has like three wins. Yeah, for whatever reason, Medlin hasn't gotten the run support Miner has. But yeah, Miner's obviously on the better offense, so wins probably going to go to him. 
But ratios, I definitely like Ryu just because I think that they're similar in terms of skills. But Ryu is the better ground ball pitcher, and I always would rather the ground ball guy than the guy who might implode and give up three home runs in one start. Yeah, I guess I'm just looking at the the increase in K rate this year, and I it, it comes along with the increase in swinging strike as well, so I think that's legit. Uh, I don't think his control is going to continue to be 4.6% good, but um, it has improved, and I, I just sort of buy his improvements, and I think he's going to be a little bit better long-term. But I see your point. All right, let's move along to some daily fantasy contest strategy. And this year on Fangraphs, or on Rotographs, I should say, we actually started looking at players in daily fantasy contests, and specifically Draft Street. And uh, Brett, you have been uh, writing articles. Uh, what do you write, once or twice a week? Is that your schedule for these articles? Yeah, Monday and Friday. Monday and Friday, you are identifying uh, a couple of pitchers and a couple of hitters who uh, represent good values on Draft Street. And I've actually been playing on FanDuel for a couple of years now. And and this year, I got back into it. I mean, in the past, I've been very casual. You know, I'd play maybe once a week. Uh, I would start from the bottom and then make my way up the player list, basically just going with the guy who's cheap and shouldn't be cheap. But right. this year, I've really started to take uh, a serious interest in it. And, and this is my process. So basically... In a spreadsheet, I have all of the rest of season zips projections. I calculate the per game projection for every single player. I then place their FanDuel salary next to their points per game. And then I calculate how much I am paying per point. Right. And then I can sort by value. And it makes it a lot easier to have a quantitative way to compare players. Yeah, And then I also thought, huh, there is actually an add-on to Excel called Solver where I felt like there's got to be a way to optimize your lineup to fill up the salary and also get the most uh, number of projected points. But I have no idea how to use Solver. So somehow I managed to find somebody through some message board. We emailed back and forth. And sure enough, he came up with a way to configure Solver to optimize a FanDuel lineup. And I've been doing that ever since. You want to send me that spreadsheet after we're done here? <laughs> I would be happy to for uh, only $100. I'm just kidding. $100 and 10% of all of your future winnings. Right, right. I think it's a fantastic deal. <laughs> all right. So why don't you tell me, because obviously not everybody has that ability. If you don't have Solver, obviously that is the best way to do things. But right. if you don't have Solver, if you don't want to like upload Zips projections, how would you go or how do you go about choosing players? And for the column or if you play yourself on Draft Street, how do you choose your team? Well, I, I, I usually choose a lineup, and then each, each day we have to highlight five players, and I just pick out of my lineup um, the ones that I think I can make some sort of point on. But to pick a lineup, uh, I start with starting pitchers. Um, I, I really just started doing this this year. Um, I, I've played before, but not seriously, kind of like you, but obviously this year I've had to get a little more serious about it. And my original inclination was that it would be better to try to identify bargain pitchers because I feel like I have a decent ability to do that through you know I've been spot starting in regular fantasy leagues for a long time so I thought it would be the same skill set and then um, basically getting spending money on on hitters 
given the fact that the guys who go for more money tend to go over less. Um, but I didn't have much success with that at first. And so I think my, my flaw was that I didn't realize that starting pitchers score the most points each day. Uh, they score higher point totals than hitters on average. And so if you go for a bargain pitcher and they flame out, it's really hard to recover from that with your hitters. So since I've switched to spending on pitchers, you know, the most expensive guys who have good matchups, um, I've had much more success. So that's the basic broad strategy. And you actually reminded me of, I used to play like the exact same way. I always prided myself on the ability to identify uh, undervalued pitchers, but in these uh, websites, especially FanDuel, pitchers are actually undervalued. You can yeah. get a lot more bang for your buck with a pitcher than a hitter. And right. so at this point, you really got to make sure that, I mean, FanDuel and Draft Street scoring are different, but in FanDuel, for example, you need basically 15 points from your pitcher in order to compete. And even a guy that costs $8,000, for example, is completely worth paying for if you think that you have a good shot at getting your 15 points. So right. you basically have to pay for pitching because there are so many bargains in hitting yeah. that it, it doesn't even matter how much you leave for hitting. There will be bargains. Right. And, never... and there's so many hitters that are available and a limited supply of pitchers that what you have to do is just make sure that you have a good – you don't have to pay for the, high, the most expensive pitcher, but make sure your pitcher is good and not a sleeper type – Maybe like a Dan Straley, who you think, oh, he's undervalued because his Sierra is 350, but his ERA is 450. No, this is Dan Straley we're talking about. Yeah, he might be undervalued and a nice sleeper, a nice buy low, but it's still Dan Straley we're talking about. Right. Go with somebody who you know is going to be good. Go with a Cliff Lee, a Cole Hamels, a Verlander, because you pretty much know that they're going to give you a good start every single time out. Yeah, um, you're talking about the cost of a fantasy point, sort of what – your strategy using your Excel spreadsheet. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I looked at just, it was one day, like two weeks ago, May 31st. This was a pretty typical day. It was a full day. Um, the average hitters in the pool, I pulled them into a spreadsheet, they averaged 2.08 .8 points per game. And that average salary was like a little under six grand. So basically, you have to spend like 2,800 and change to get a fantasy point from a hitter. But the pitchers uh, score about five fantasy points per game and an average salary of about twelve grand. So you only had to spend about twenty three hundred and change to get one point from a pitcher. So similar idea there. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know if these sites are if they realize that pitchers are undervalued or they just don't care because it's all relative, so it doesn't really matter right. at all. But yeah, th I, go ahead. Th there's actually another big part of my process. And that is, I will never, ever, ever select a hitter facing a good pitcher. What, yeah. How I actually start is I look at all of the pitching matchups for the day. I then identify – and I, I look at the splits, the righty-lefty splits as well of every pitcher. And I will then make a list. For example, Lance Lynn. You wouldn't realize this, but Lance Lynn actually is not good versus lefties. So he's facing the Reds, for example. So I will write on you know, my notepad, for example, I'll write down Reds lefties versus Lynn. 
And then let's say Jeremy Bonderman pitched the other night just off the top of my head. He faced the Yankees. So I'll just say all Yankees versus Jeremy Bonderman. Of course, that didn't work out because Bonderman actually had a good game. But you get my point is that I then only select from those pitch uh, from those teams that are facing a bad pitcher or a pitcher with one bad split. I mean, Lance Lynn, you would think, oh, he's a good pitcher. I'm not going to pick any reds. But you really need to look at the splits. But you would be surprised about who is not good against a certain handedness. And splits are huge. You basically always want to go with a lefty versus a right-handed starter and a righty versus a left-handed starter. Yes, that's the most. That's the number one thing for pitch, picking hitters. I just find the first one, the cheapest one at the bottom of the list that doesn't completely suck, <laughs> who has a lefty-righty matchup for the day against a guy who's not very good. All right. How about dealing with hot streaks? Do you give bonus points to hitters amid a hot streak, such as a Dominic Brown, in which you would essentially pay whatever his salary is to ensure he's on your team? No, I, I wouldn't pay whatever his salary is. Um, you know, hot streaks end, and you don't know when you can – you can't predict when they're going to end, really. Um, sometimes it will take the pricers at these sites a little while to adjust to a hot streak. Um, and if – you know, for, for example, Don Brown wasn't getting valued properly for you know, about a week and a week, week and a half, two weeks ago. Um, but they've caught up with it now, and now he costs too much. So there's at this point, there's too much risk of him, you know, going cold at, at the price he's at. So yeah, I, I think that's actually one of the biggest mistakes that daily fantasy players make is that they just ride, they try to ride the hot streaks, and no matter how expensive a hot hitter gets, they automatically start their team. Oh, let's see who's hot. Dominic Brown is hot. Who else is hot? Early in the year, Chris Davis is hot. I have to start my team with these players. Right now, Yasiel Puig is hot. I have to start my team with these players. No matter how much they cost, they think they automatically have to have these players on their team. And, and that's a huge mistake because we know because there have been studies that hot streaks have no predictive value. And Dominic Brown right now is priced like a top 10 uh, player in, in FanDuel. And, and clearly, based on any projection, he's not a top 10 player. I mean, he doesn't walk a whole lot. And he obviously isn't expected to perform at the same level he has been. And so you obviously shouldn't expect him to be a top 10 player. And so you shouldn't be paying top 10 salary, even though he has been hot. Right. But now another question, I think this is more difficult. What about dealing with slumping players who have track records of of significantly more success, but are probably super cheap? Like BJ Upton, for example, has been at the minimum salary for weeks right now. And Ike Davis also had been, but he actually just got sent down today. So what do you do here? I mean, it's tempting because when I sort by value, PJ Upton is always at the highest. And I actually have to remove him from my solver algorithm. Otherwise, solver would always choose him for my team. And I'm like, solver, no thanks. I'm going to pass up BJ Upton, which might not be the correct strategy, but – it's very tempting. When you see B.J. Upton as the cheapest player, you know what he's done in the past, and you think, wow, for the cheapest salary, he's he's clearly got to be worth that kind of value. So what do you do there? Um, I guess Upton and, and Hayward are a good case study here because they were both struggling. Um, on one of the other sites I play at as well, they were both you know in the 10 cheapest outfielders at one point. And I would, when Hayward was facing a righty, I'd pick Hayward because his skill set is still there. Everything sort of points to a rebound. So I expect him to rebound. But with Upton, it's a little bit different. I mean, he's striking out 
a lot more, which is, you know, crazy since he strikes out a lot to begin with. But and, and he's swinging less, and that's probably why he's striking out more. And so until I see his approach change, I, I'm just going to hold off. Yeah, and I'm actually the exact same way. I think the struggling players are a little more uh, scary just because you never know if they're hiding an injury or sure. if there's some mechanical issues going there. And so you don't really know if they're going to rebound and to the levels that the Zips rest of season projections are projecting. Because remember, these are computer projections and they're completely unaware of what's going on inside a, a batter's head, any injuries. They don't know that B.J. Upton is hitting eighth now. All they know is what his historical performance has been, what his historical RBIs and runs scored have been that were uh, coming in uh, spots in the lineup that were better than eighth, obviously. And so players like Upton, as tempting as I tempted as I am to actually keep them on my team, I I ignore them. I you know there were times that I I went with Matt Kemp just because he got too cheap to ignore, even though I knew he had the shoulder problem. Uh, recently, I've been picking Ryan Braun a couple of times, and he's dealing with a thumb injury. But again, he was at a salary that I'm just like, there's too much upside here. Right. So there are times where I can't ignore a player, but for the most part, I think it's better to just ignore them. And again, there's so many decent or good values that it's just not even worth taking a risk on a guy who's struggled all season long and with the hopes that this is the night that they break out. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so we basically named one uh, in terms of biggest mistake daily players make. Are there any others that you can think of that daily players make that they shouldn't be making? Um, I mean, I do think the biggest is not spending on pitching. Um, I know it's purely anecdotal, but uh, my my account on Draft Street and elsewhere is is much higher than it was when I was spending big on on hitting. So that's the number one thing. Um, other mistakes. How about relying on historical batter versus pitcher matchups? Statistics? Oh, I'll be honest. I didn't even, that's, I, I never even considered doing that. So if people are doing that, yeah, that's a mistake. It's just too small of a sample size. Yeah. For example, you know, I read a, a message board daily and they have a long thread on daily fantasy, uh, strategy. And basically what they've been doing for the past couple of months is talking about the next day, day's games, potential lineups, and posting their lineup. And one guy would, every day, check the, the historical batter versus pitcher matchups and say, oh, I identified these players, and this guy is 8 for 13 versus this pitcher, so got to get him in my lineup. I'm like, seriously? Yeah. Really? You're, you're relying on that tiny of a sample size. And, and I've read even extreme and, and, and larger sample sizes, and even in extremes, like, for example... You would think maybe a guy, if he was 30 for 50 versus a pitcher, oh, well, that's a decent sample size. And when you're that good against a pitcher, maybe it does hold some weight. Nope, that's not even predictive either, they found. So I know it's tempting to use that data, but don't. Completely ignore it. Don't even check the batter versus pitcher matchup page. It's absolutely useless. Agreed. All right, let's move along into some prospect talk and uh, top starting pro pitching prospect for the Pirates, Garrett Cole, is expected to be called up to make his major league debut on Tuesday. 
is this is a guy that 12-team mixed league owners, and I always say 12-team mixed league because basically anything deeper and all these prospects, you got to take a chance yeah. on if you're in a deeper league. So 12-team mixed league for me is basically borderline where they've got to be – you, you got to think about it. So is he a guy that you think a 12-team mixed league owner should pick up and you expect to earn positive value in those types of leagues? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in a, a 12-team mix this year with like a $250 entrant fee, which is like the highest I've ever done. So I, I care a lot about that one. And um, I, I need pitching. I'm basically in a four-way tie for first at this point. And I could use some pitching help. I just lost PV. So did I. Boo. Yeah. But I don't think this is where I'm going. Um, I, I just as a general tendency tend to shy away from prospects until I – I see something from him at the major league level. Um, maybe that's a good strategy. Maybe it's not. But I'm just uh, too uncertain, and I don't, you know, I don't really love what he's done at AAA so far this year. Um, strikeout rates way down up at the next level. A lot of his success has been low BABIP, um, and it's 216, so that, that's pretty low. So I think I'm going to look elsewhere if I need help in that kind of league. Yeah, I, that's quite the surprise. I mean, he has posted. Good strikeout rates in the past, or yeah, good, good, usually over a batter per inning, and and this year it's down at six point two per nine, which is not good, and and quite surprising, and and now he's coming up, and I'm concerned. I mean, I haven't read any explanation for why his strikeout rate is down so far. I don't know, maybe his velocity is down, or maybe he's been told not to use certain pitches. I have no clue. So all I can do is look at the stats. His walk rate isn't good either. So, uh, I mean, he's probably getting the call based on a lucky ERA of 291, which, as you mentioned, is uh, supported by an unsustainable 216 BABIP. So he's a guy that, sure, maybe it was just you know a small sample fluke with the strikeout rate. He'll be in the majors, and his strikeout rate will be back to a level you would expect from a top-pitching prospect. But I'm not willing to take that risk. So I'm not touching Garrett Cole until I see some of him in the majors. But, I mean, he's already going to be on every team already. So I would be cautious with Garrett Cole and not blindly believe in the hype here. What about another top prospect who I'm actually reading some conflicting reports because according to, of all people, Jim Bowden, apparently Will Myers is is close to getting recalled by the Rays and it can happen within the next couple of weeks. But then I read an article uh, where Joe Madden was quoted as saying, you know, we don't have any room for him. I mean, obviously they have – Jennings, they have Kelly Johnson, Ben Zobrist, uh, Matt Joyce, Luke Scott. Where is this guy going to play? Unless they're just going to bench Luke Scott, then Will Myers has nowhere to play. Right. So let's say, for example, he does get called up. Say they tell Luke Scott, okay, you're now a bench player. Will Myers, you have a starting everyday outfield job. Is he going to be worth mix, uh, is he going to earn mixed league value? Um, again, I'm just going to be patient with these guys and, and cautious, and I'm probably not going to be the first one to pick them up, although Myers probably is in even shallower leagues. But uh, I wouldn't expect too much. I don't like that he's, you know, his strikeout rate in the upper minors has been pretty high. Um, I, I'm not sure I have any evidence to back this up, but I sort of expect guys with higher strikeout rates in the upper minors to have maybe more of an adjustment period. I think you may have some contact problems at first. So... I wouldn't expect too much, especially in the way of batting average. Yeah, I completely agree with that strikeout rate problem. That 
really would scare me. And and he's a guy who I could easily see getting off to a a real slow start, batting 220, 230. And, and maybe that slow start leads to a demotion after a couple of weeks because he's just simply not ready. Of course, he's already had over 500 at-bats at the AAA level. So it's not really like he has anything else to prove in the tri- uh, at AAA. Uh, so uh, basically, he is what he is. He's going to be a high strikeout guy. So it's just a matter of hopefully it doesn't get any worse at the major league level. Because if it gets worse, then that's just going to be at a level where he just can't succeed. Uh, Unless he shows massive power, a la like a a Giancarlo Stanton, which, you know, in the minors, he's shown perhaps that ability in the future, but Giancarlo Stanton obviously has mammoth power, and you can't assume that Will Myers is going to come close to that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the good thing about Myers is he has a nice power-speed combo. So if he doesn't bat 230 and his strikeout rate doesn't get out of control, and his batting average is respectable, then he does have intrigue in fantasy leagues. Because any, anybody with you know 30-20 potential, obviously, is quite exciting from a fantasy perspective. Right. So, I, I, I just don't see that. Especially the 20. I don't see the 20. Well, he does have six steals right now in 262 plate appearances. So, you're right. That doesn't exactly translate to 20 steals. Uh, he has stolen 10 bases in, in like 300 plate appearances uh, back in 2010, which is a, a 20 still pace over a full season. But you're right. Maybe he's more of a 10 to 15 guy. But even a 30, 30, 15 guy, yeah. that's damn valuable in, in a fantasy league. And, and so I don't think it would be wise to completely write him off, but I would bet on him struggling early on than taking the league by storm and immediately having a positive impact in fantasy leagues. Ultimately, I'd like to see him struggle a little bit at first so that all the people that already own him get his bad stats. <laughs> then he kind of picks it up a little bit in September, but when everybody looks back, uh, when we get to draft season next year, everybody looks back at his total line and it's not very good. And he'll be a sleeper. Right, and maybe he starts, you know, if he gets that plate d- discipline going as he goes along, he could have some value next year. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I root for the exact same thing. Guys that I like toward the end of the year, I, I that I don't own, I kind of root that they they perform poorly just so they head into the year with their value depressed, and then they become a sleeper, and then I get them cheap, and then I win. So right. <laughs> that's, I, I yeah, I root for that a lot. All right, let's move along to another guy who uh, might be returning by the end of the month, Michael Pineda, coming off of serious shoulder surgery. Uh, and he's rehabbing for the time being, and the Yankees hope to get him back. I don't know where he'll fit into the rotation or if he will be in the rotation. I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but is he a guy worth taking a chance on? And I'm actually going to ask, is he a guy worth taking a chance on even in a deeper league? Because coming off of serious shoulder surgery, I'm not even sure he'll have AL-only league value at this point. Um, I think in any league where you – I mean, this is kind of a cop-out answer, but if you have room and you need pitching help, I think he's worth a stash. Um, obviously check his velocity whenever it is that he gets back. I'm sure Jeff Zimmerman will uh, have some. Hope you over that one. Yeah. So just see if when he ever gets back, if he has his velocity, uh, you can continue to hold on to him. But I, that same league where I need pitching, I've got sort of a half a roster spot I can use, and I think I'm going to add him and hope for the best. Yeah, well, a healthy Pineda I liked. I thought he was going to be undervalued heading into 2012. Obviously, that wasn't the case, considering he missed the entire year. 
But the issue is, is early on, I think the first velocity readings that we got was actually kind of encouraging. He was basically in the you know 93 range, hitting 94, hitting 95. But then the last time we heard about velocity, his most recent start, he was basically sitting in the low 90s and he hit 93. That's not good. Uh, you know, his his one full season, he averaged 94.7 with his fastball. So if he's only reaching 93 and sitting in the low 90s, that's not good. And it's not a surprise. I mean, when a pitcher is coming off of serious shoulder surgery, it's reasonable to think that he'll never be the same again. Sure. So his velocity may never recover and he may never be the Michael Pineda that he was once thought to become in the future. So I would be worried, and, and that's the only thing I would be uh, monitoring. I mean, if his velocity is down, I'm not touching him. If he can get that back up to 95, yeah, I'll be interested, but I have serious doubts that we'll ever get back up there. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's still possible that he's building arm strength, I guess, but I'm with you. Odds are it'll probably never be the same. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy who maybe by September he is back to throwing 95, and he can make himself a serious sleeper into 2014. Yeah. But I don't see him having any value this year. All right, speaking of injuries, poor Hanley Ramirez owners. Unless, of course, <laughs> you are not a Hanley Ramirez owner when you're like, ah, ha, 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 sucks for you. Which I'm not a Hanley owner in my six leagues, lucky for me. And so this is kind of amusing. Although you never wish for injury on a player, obviously. But, you know, a hamstring strain, uh, it's not a big deal. So this is more amusing than unfortunate, if you get my drift. So we still don't know. I mean, he was supposed to get an MRI today. We don't know the results yet. If he goes on the DL, do you think we see D. Gordon again in Los Angeles? Um, I mean, do they have another option? I mean, they can continue playing with the crap that they have been. You know, their combination of Luis Cruz, Justin Sellers, Jerry Hairston. Uh, who else am I missing? Uh, oh, Juan Uribe. Just a mishmash of crap <laughs> to say. Yeah, I, I hope they give him a chance because I feel like this is a guy who basically just hasn't been able to hit for average, but I don't know that it's totally been his fault. I mean – what has he got? 636 plate appearances with a 22% line drive with his speed. I mean, you'd think that would turn into some average. And his plate discipline's not great, but it's not horrible either. So I think if he ever got back up and, and they left him in the lineup for long enough, I think he could manage to hit for a respectable enough average to, you know, get you the steals that everybody wants. So. Yeah, and, he, and he's showing real improvement in AAA. His walk rate has doubled from previous years. His strikeout rate is uh, good and I mean that's the type of improvement that they need to see because he was never a walker uh, in the past which means that he probably would never be a top of the order guy but if he's walking at a 12% rate suddenly he's now a speedster who has a good walk rate with potential for a high on base percentage that's a leadoff hitter and I mean that's somebody that they can clearly use especially if uh, I mean, Mark Ellis obviously isn't very good anymore. Throw him to the end of the order and uh, have D. Gordon hit leadoff when Carl Crawford comes back. Have him bat second. And and this is something that would really improve their lineup if D. Gordon could finally translate these skills into the majors. I mean, he actually translated that walk rate 
in his time with the Dodgers, but then his strikeout rate was way up, and he hit 175, boosts his BABIP was 217, and they just had no patience. And that's the problem here with Gordon, he's not good defensively. And yeah. that really, really hurts him, because if he's not hitting, they're just going to have no patience. So I'm crossing my fingers he gets another chance, because I still own him in the 15-team labor mixed league. And, and that would be a really nice help, especially a, a boost to my stolen base uh, opportunities. But I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, you would think that the Dodgers now with Puig, they might start looking to go with a youth movement and just kind of give up, yeah. which would open up an opportunity for D. Gordon. Because, I mean, this is a team – you're not going anywhere with Luis Cruz and Justin Sellers and, and Uribe and Harrison. Give Gordon an extended look. Don't mess with him. Call him up and just leave him there and, and see what happens. Give him the rest of the season. If he continues to stink, okay, think about if he's part of your future or not. But you got to give him more than 50 at-bats. Yeah. If you lost Hanley and Gordon gets called up and, and has the job, is that who you're adding? Or where? You, I mean, who are you going to add at shortstop if you need help, assuming Hanley's on Yeah, the absolutely. I mean, I would imagine – I mean, it, it's possible there are some guys who have been off to slow starts – Andrelton Simmons, for example, was dropped uh, a week or so ago in one of my leagues. I picked him up. I've been basically playing middle infield roulette because I've had Aaron Hill on the DL. Yeah. So in that league, it's been between Yunel Escobar and yeah. I actually had D Gordon and then I had to drop him, uh, Andrelton Simmons. So yeah, I mean, D Gordon, I think, has the most upside of anybody that can possibly find in the waiver wire. I mean, this is a guy who, if his minor league skills translate and he doesn't get sent down in a full season, he's a 60 steal threat. And, and you don't find those guys on free agency. So you got to take a shot on him that his strikeout rate improves and it looks more like his minor league rates. I agree. Although I wish Daniel Descalso played every day because I sort of like his power speed, but and nobody has more upside than Gordon that's owned in mostly – or not owned in most leagues. Right. Absolutely. Well, I'm crossing my fingers that Gordon does get the call. And with that said, that is going to do it for us tonight. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Brett Talley, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.